0: this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and standing by our authors Brad Talinsky and Chris Gill and they're going to share an incredible new book that is out today October 5th in honor of Eddie Van Halen it's actually hard to believe it's been one year since he passed away I am a huge fan of this legendary guitarist Uh, I have a copy of the book we're going to give away copies of this book um, to anyone who emails me when this airs, and that email is Janine J A N E A N E at K U C I. org. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, great to be here, having us, Janine.
0: Such an important book. I mean, the magnitude of music that Eddie put out. The you know the style the creativity as you know i mean he was absolutely one of a kind which is an understatement
1: you know yeah i mean he was uh uh arguably the most innovative guitarist since Jimi hendrix and therefore one of the greatest musicians of the 20th century yeah uh, um but he was even more than all of that he was a an incredible songwriter, which often gets forgotten. Everybody thinks so much about the guitar solos, but he had everything to do with those great memorable songs that, that we all love. And he was a brilliant inventor as well. Yeah.
0: Now, how did you two come together and decide you were going to do this book?
2: Well, it's a crazy story because um, Brad was bugging me for a while. He's like, you've got to do an Eddie Van Halen book. And um, I just really treasured my moments with that. And I was kind of being a little maybe selfish, I guess, you know, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. But we got to talking about it at a certain point. And I kind of realized that, well, I've got this certain part of the story. But I have a few holes in the middle, and a few things over here, and whatever. And then Brad's like, well, I've got that. And we thought, (laughs) well, Let's put those two together, you know. And this was actually, you know, when Ed was still with us, and we thought, well, maybe I can get together with Ed and we can do some more interviews and, you know, see if he's into the idea of this book and everything. Uh, And then unfortunately, we lost him. Yeah. And I think at that point, it really became imperative for us to act. Um, Things move so quickly in this day and age, people get forgotten or bombarded with news. And we thought it's our duty to share this wit and wisdom, this incredible knowledge that we got from this guy, a very important historical figure, an you important bet. musical figure. We need to share this with people.
0: Yes. Now, I, I didn't touch on uh, both of you with your backgrounds. Um, could you just give us a little sense of you both wrote one for Guitar Aficionado and one for Guitar Magazine? I, I forget who's who, Sue, apologize.
1: Oh, so... Um... I was the uh, editor-in-chief of Guitar World for uh, close to two decades. Okay. And uh, Guitar World was the best-selling magazine for, for musicians for, for a long, long time. And um, we had a great rapport with, with uh, Eddie Van Halen. Um, you know, Eddie saw the world through his guitar. And so the best way to to talk to him is to make him feel comfortable that you knew who, what he was and what he was all about. And, and so we would do that at guitar world. And uh, Chris uh, became one of our writers. And uh, Chris is one of the most uh, knowledgeable people I would say in the world on the subject of, of the electric guitar. And there were times when I didn't I couldn't do the interview because I was doing other things. And so I thought, well, we got to get Chris over there. And and Chris and Eddie hit it off. uh,
0: (laughs) What was that like, Chris? I mean, here Uh, you are chatting with Eddie Van Halen.
2: Yeah, well, I, I actually my my gateway to Eddie was a little bit before that I was actually at the competing magazine, Guitar Player magazine. And I interviewed Eddie for the first time in November of 1994 on the balance album. Um, but I was always jealous of guitar world. I always saw that they got a little bit better access and they got more access to Ed. So I thought, well, what if I come over here? What if I joined this camp, you know, and I can get that much closer. Right. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Brad took my bait, you know, and everything. And I, I, <laughs> I went from San Francisco to New York city uh, with my little tweed suitcase. Cool. And um, but yeah, it was just, it was one of those things. I mean, I, I grew up in Southern California and I was bombarded with Van Halen from yeah. January 1978 before the album first album even came out so I was a fan from the beginning and that was just I mean when I heard eruption in February of 78 that just carved out my life's path it's like I'm gonna find some way some career in music you know and um yeah next thing I know you know it took me a little while but next thing I know I'm up at 5150 standing you know right across from Ed
0: amazing well I was gonna ask both of you what that was like being at 5150
1: Um, You know, it was, uh, it was comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, it was built for comfort. It was basically Ed's home away from home. I mean, 5150 was located literally in in Eddie's backyard. (laughs) So (laughs) when he wasn't at home, he would walk like three minutes and be in his recording facility. Uh, And it sort of felt that way. I, I don't know how many recording studios you or, or, or any of your listeners have been into, but they tend to be like a little cold, a little chilly, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're professional environments. But uh, Ed's was sort of like uh, walking into your, uh, your, your den in your home, except it had gigantic recording console oh, and, cool. and all these historic guitars, you know, laying around mm-hmm. all over the place.
2: It was very lived in, you know, very lived in, very comfortable, you know, his happy place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He he did some things that were incredible. He wasn't afraid to, like, take things apart, you know, change pickups, do different things. I love how you captured that in the book.
2: Well, that was the essence of, of Ed. Um, he realized at a very, very early age, you know, he started playing guitar at the age of 12, and he started, you know, like most guitar players do, listening to records and because he didn't read music. So he, he copied what he was hearing. And he realized because he had such a, a well-tuned ear from the years before he spent, you know, studying classical music, mm-hmm. um, he had such a well-developed ear. And he realized, I don't sound like this Eric Clapton record. I sound like myself. But he went with that as opposed to like going like getting mm-hmm. discouraged by it. He just, he just said, I'm going with it. And that was the that. whole thing. You know, the guitars that he bought off the shelf didn't fit what he needed or wanted. So he just made them do what he wanted them to do. And that was the running thread throughout his life. You know, it was just, you know, I'm going to make things the way I want them to be.
1: Yeah. There's a funny, there's a funny story in the book to uh, your, your point um, where Ed gets invited over to Frank Zappa's uh, recording studio. And uh, he's hanging out there with uh, Steve Vai, the, famous uh, virtuoso guitarist mm-hmm. and uh they're 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 sort of swapping licks are playing and but there's the the guitar is buzzing a little bit you know there's one of the strings rubbing up against one of the frets and so uh steve said well maybe we should get a different guitar and ed ed was like yeah. nah, nah. and he reaches over and grabs a screwdriver and takes the screwdriver and jams it under the the, the the top of the guitar and he and he says see no more buzz and he he starts passing around this guitar with this screwdriver <laughs> sticking I out can of only
0: it. imagine Steve Vai <laughs> I once saw him perform with David Lee Roth I can only imagine what he must have been thinking like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> or I'd hope not yeah, yeah I, he really wasn't afraid to tinker and make his own sound and I love that
2: Well, that's a big part of his personality and his contribution too. Again, we look at Eddie Van Halen. So many people look at him as a smiling rock star, you know, and all these MTV videos. And he really was a much deeper and more complex person than that. And a big part of his driving force was the guitar. And he was an inventor, you know, at the end of his life, he had a entire company named after, you know, that, that he, it was under his direction. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of guitar players out there have what they call a signature guitar. Ed had a signature company you know yes. that's how much he developed you know he, he exactly he, that's how much he contributed you know to this world he changed the path of the electric guitar right you know the way the guitar is made
1: yes and and later on in his life one of his instruments was put into the smithsonian i saw that yeah you know um as as a great american invention mm-hmm. um,
0: his, his songwriting is so brilliant, and I have to say, I, I'm not a beginner guitarist, I'm, I would say I'm like intermediate, but I wanted this as a, as a my own little present to myself, Cool. <laughs> um, and I wanted to learn like Drop Dead Legs and Unchained and all these different songs, and it, it's just incredible the thought he put into his songs.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was just, um, he was on another level. I mean, he just, he heard things in a very different way. And it you know, he really picked up the baton like nobody else from Jimi Hendrix, because Jimi Hendrix saw these sounds beyond what we know as guitars of traditional guitar playing. He used right. sound effects and all this stuff when, you know, he would use pedals like that mm-hmm. to create all these new sounds. And Ed didn't use a lot of pedals, like Jimmy didn't actually use that many pedals when it comes right down to it. But Ed was just into, like, what can I do that's beyond the 12 notes that we hear here? Those wonderful howling dive bombs, you know, and the thunder and the animal noises and the grunts and the growls and all that. The tapping Uh, and everything. The tapping. And the tapping is another brilliant thing. I mean, you know, we've seen little bits and pieces of tapping throughout history, but Ed took the ball and ran with it and turned it into this this masterpiece. Yes. But it made musical sense, too. It wasn't just a little novelty parlor trick. You know, it was, it was a real musical statement.
0: I think you both did. And I just want to say, Brad, that you both did an excellent job also giving us a sense of his childhood. It was not an easy road for him. Um, Do you want to share a little bit of that? Because, you know, he was not born here.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, again, uh, as Chris was saying. You know, Ed was a complex guy. There was a, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And people assume he was this sort of smiling all-American kid, but in fact, he was an immigrant from Holland. And mm-hmm. uh, when he came to the United States, uh, you know, as a, as a preteen, he had difficulties fitting in. He couldn't speak English. Uh, this created a whole set of social anxieties uh, for him. Sure, And sure. Um, I mean, but he took that negative and turned it sort of into a positive. Uh, he didn't have very many friends, so he learned how to express himself. I think, you know, Chris and I both sort of feel like the drive to express himself in such an emotional way probably came from those formative years when yeah. he was a kid and he could didn't have the words, sure. so he took and made the instrument speak for him
0: i wonder how many people know that he was he started on the piano and drums and what led to guitar i thought that was an interesting journey
1: yeah, yeah. really fascinating or even that he's half he's half asian too yeah you yeah
2: know. the fascinating you know. thing about the piano is you know that he won first place in three consecutive competitions with thousands of kids and he couldn't read music you know that's the other thing it's a classical piano competition mm-hmm. but we've we talked about this why he stood out is because he put his personality and his emotion into that. Whereas the other kids were just, you know, they might as well have been typing on typewriters or whatever. Right. Ed just, you know, he heard the music and then he played it, you know, on the piano, but he put himself into that. And they they would often say, oh, that was an interesting interpretation of that piece there, you know? So they're thinking, (laughs) hey, this kid's on another level, you know? And he was, he, Ed, Ed just thinks he's faking it, but he actually was on another level.
0: He was, he was. And his dad was musical,
2: Yes, the family, his son, you know, three incredible generations of awesome musicians. And that's another key thing to the Eddie Van Halen story is family. Mm -hmm. You know, that's they came together as this tight little family unit, you know, came over from Holland. And that's really all they had in the beginning. Fifty dollars of piano and his mom and dad and brother. Mm -hmm. And um, they were tight, you know, and they looked out for each other. They protected each other. And that mentality is really what, you know, that, that that went through the years you know, when they got into squabbles with lead singers, Ed and Alex against the world, you yeah. know, that's how it was. Sure. And, um, you know, and then, of course, I, Wolfgang of, comes um, into the picture. And, um, you know, then Wolfgang is like, you know, it's inevitable he's going to end up in the band at some point. You just right. know it. Because when I talked to that, it's just he was already just you could see him like, ah, oh, yeah, Wolfgang, man. I hope he, you know, he picks up some instrument or becomes a lead singer or whatever. You know, Oh, he like, did. Oh, yeah. What were
0: you going to say, Brad?
1: I was going to say, yeah, his dad was um, was a really great musician. And part of uh, what made uh, Alex and Ed good or be beyond their age is his dad would actually take them to gigs and they would play behind them. You know, when they were 12 and 13 years old, mm-hmm. um, his dad would be playing uh, all sorts of different kinds of music standards and Polkas and all sorts of things like that mm-hmm. and uh it was that sort of i thought one of the interesting things in the book was when they talked to their dad mm-hmm. the dad said oh yeah man ever since ed was a little kid we yeah. knew he had it yeah you know yeah. sure he had it you know as a musician
0: right but he was also very anxious you know and you shared that with yeah. us you
1: know. Yeah, well, you know, that was, that led to problems further on down the line. So it was Mm -hmm. sort of this anxiousness of coming to a new country, not speaking the language, being picked on by bullies. Bullies. And, um, you know, that created an anxiousness in him. And later on, that sort of, it it probably led to him with his substance abuse issues. Mm You know, whether it was drinking or or, or drugs, he yeah. would do that to get himself to feel sort of comfortable in his social settings. Mm-hmm. But it also led to sort of chronic behavior when he would, uh, even when he was recording and, and other things. Mm-hmm.
0: He had a wonderful relationship with Valerie. And uh, I mean, their son is outstanding. And I love his music. I mean, Mammoth Absolutely. is really, I can't stand that when people are like, how come he's not getting up there and doing all the different things that his dad does? Well, because he's just doing his own unique thing, you know? Yeah. Well, well there's like-
2: a
1: great interview in the book that that Chris did with, um, with Ed yeah. and, and Wolfgang together yeah. where they're interacting. And it's so funny. I think Wolfgang's 16 at the time, mm-hmm. but he's like giving his dad Hal, he's basically, he, he is sort of his own man. I mean, Chris can speak more to this.
2: Yeah, Wolfgang was was just, I mean, boy, what what a, an independent spirit, you know, and we see that every day with him. And he was just, you know, again, he was he was wired differently than a lot of other kids, um, but, you know, very respectful of his father. But it's kind of like, you know, you see this progression, you know, where you went from Jan van Halen, you know, to, to Eddie, to Wolfgang, and n- neither of them are alike in any way, shape or form. You know, they just they kind of went from one level to the other. You know, and it's, it's really interesting because, I mean, Ed could play drums and, you know, he did that on the Van Halen 3 album, actually, you know, and he played all these instruments and everything. But, um, you know, Wolfgang's got a little bit more talent as a singer, you know, and everything. And he can do the whole one man band thing yeah. very well. And he, and he did that. And I have to say to, to, to Wolfgang's benefit, I mean, to his, you know, to praise the, the kid, uh, he was not really a kid anymore, but, um, yeah. you know, he put that album aside. Yeah. For so long, just to look after his dad and to be with him and to spend you know, time with him, knowing that his, you know, Ed's time was limited on this earth. And that's such an amazing sacrifice that he made. And just mm-hmm. you know, much respect to Wolfgang for that.
0: Well, that's a reflection of the love they shared.
2: Absolutely. And that's the thing, family. That's, again, yep. it's key with the, with the Van Halens is family.
0: Right. Yeah. What else would you like people to know about this book?
1: You want to start with you, Brad? Sure. Um, I think the thing is, is uh, one of the motivations that Chris and I had to writing it is that there have been books out about Ed or about Van Halen, and uh, they're entertaining or they're interesting, but they're like a little gossipy mm-hmm. and don't, didn't really show the full portrait. Uh, of who Ed was and what his accomplishments were, you know, it was a little tabloidy in that sense. And so we're talking about, again, one of the great musicians of the 20th century. So not to talk about his music and his accomplishments as an inventor is to sort of miss the point of the whole thing. Right. Exactly. So um, I don't want people to think that this book is dull in any kind of way uh, because there's a way to write about music and, and creativity that, that's mm-hmm. exciting and, and moving and has all of those dramatic elements. And that's what we really wanted to do. We wanted to create a full portrait of, of this guy that meant so much to so many. And for people to really understand why it is that they really love him. And um, this this is... I don't know, I sort of think about this as sort of a cool thing. Like Ed was famous for his smile, right? Right. So, you know, he'd have that great grin on on MTV. And that grin came from a place. It came from picking up the guitar and playing the guitar. Mm -hmm. So he might've had ups and downs in his life here and there, but every time he played that guitar, that smile would come back, you know? Oh yeah. And so it's really, it was really important to Chris and I to get that point across where's the source of all of that stuff Mm -hmm. you know what made this guy tick and what made him a creative genius and let's talk about some music as well
0: right well you also both did a great job giving us a sense of you know michael anthony and david lee roth and and how when they first started playing i think there was a gig in la they had like what a handful of people and then you know that was so shocking and then um you know, different people would start hearing about the band. That was an interesting progression. Well,
2: the amazing thing about them is that, and it was this intensity, and this, we saw this on a private level with Ed, just when he had an unplugged guitar in front of us, is that he played with this passion, this fury, and it was loud. It was mm-hmm. like an acoustic guitar. It wasn't plugged in and amplified, but it was still very loud. Mm-hmm. And when they played those club shows, it didn't matter if there was three people there or 300 or 3,000. They played with the same intensity, they put on a show. Uh, every show was important to them. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was the, again, that was one of these running things that made them successful, you know, and, and it worked out to their benefit because in that one night, you know, they, they had a couple, you know, the Starwood Club in Hollywood had a couple nights to film. So they just said, yeah, we'll do them. And they didn't really have a chance to promote it or anything. It was on you sure. know, a couple of weeknights and Ted Templeman shows up, you know, and sees them. And that was the scene I'm thinking. Yeah, and it yeah. just blows them away you know and it's Mm -hmm. like wow you know it's like um if they had just put on like oh let's just act like this is a a free practice or something like that then you know you know they they might not have gotten signed ted might have gone like oh i don't see what what people are going on about this band about but they just treated every show like it mattered and that went on through their whole career
1: sure well well, chris brings up a point so when we would go to 5150 um and talk with that invariably he would pick up his guitar. And I always tell people whenever he played, he never played the instrument casually. Like some of us will pick up a guitar and noodle around and just, you know, sort right. of play lightly or what have you.
0: Yeah.
1: And every time he picked up the guitar, it was, he played with, it felt like uh, in, intention. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So for him, whether he's sitting there in a chair or on the couch or in the studio hanging one-on-one you know, if he's going on that stage, you know, he's bringing that same intensity there. Yes. I don't think yes. the guy really knew how to, to play, play any other play way casually, <laughs> to play any other way. Exactly. Yeah.
2: It, ditto ditto for David Lee Roth. You know, there right. is no off button on David Lee Roth, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. You
1: know. <laughs> no off button. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you nailed that one. Yeah. I know. I, I told you, I saw him perform with Steve Vai at Syracuse university years ago. Oh, Cool. Yeah. It was a wild show.
2: It's always wild with David Leroth and it's, you know, I, I really wonder about this uh, retirement that he's talking about, you know, is he really going to retire or is he just selling some extra tickets here? You know, and true. But yeah. uh, we have our yeah, theories.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then how did, uh, Maybe you talk about this in the book, um, but how did Sammy Hagar come in the picture when uh, David Lee Roth stepped out?
2: Well, that was an interesting thing because this is another key thing to Ed is that he was constantly growing and evolving as a musician. And I think they reached a point, you know, and we see this progression. We see them going from these three, the first three albums that he did in a very quick fashion. You know, they went in the mm-hmm. studio and were out in a week. You know, and they just basically played live in the studio and Ed talked about how he didn't like to do overdubs by the fourth album, Fair Warning. All of a sudden, Ed really embraces the concept of doing overdubs and treating the studio as an instrument. So he's locking himself up in the studio and locking the other guys out, you know, and that creates some friction. Mm -hmm. And then Roth comes back, you know, and they they do the Pretty Woman single and that becomes a hit and they got to produce another record. So they go back to their old way. Mm -hmm. and ed's not particularly happy because he has all these creative ideas and they're kind of being squished down you know so ed goes one upmanship builds his own studio at his house right now it creates this masterpiece 1984 Mm -hmm. um but you know dave wanted to go off he wanted to make a movie he wanted to do these cover songs you know and expand into these other kind of things that weren't necessarily rock and roll that was not eddie Yeah. And Eddie didn't want to do that, you know, and Eddie Mm -hmm. wanted to go more off, you know, jump was kind of a, was a jump for him. You know, he wanted to go even further in that direction. Yeah. So exit Dave. Mm-hmm. And know sammy and the, the crazy story of this and there's like you know he he finds out about sammy's availability and you know through a ferrari dealer you know really their cars and this guy just says like hey yeah uh, i know a guy who you might you know you might be a good singer for your band this guy sammy hagar and of course they know who he is because yeah. they're fans you know and everything yeah. So, but it was, it was the next logical step, you know, with um, Sammy's vocal range and sure. his style and everything, it took them in a completely another direction. And then, of course, we go another 10 plus years and Ed wants to grow a little bit more. He wants to get away from some of the partying type of music and, um, you know, yep. go into a little bit deeper and more serious. And so then Sammy's out the door. So yeah. it was progress and, and growth on his part.
0: Sure. And it seemed like that was really what he was always about. He would not just stay, stand still. He was always evolving and
2: growing. Always, always recording, always creating.
1: Yeah. Well, Ed always had this thing, you know. Of course, we would uh, when we talk to him, we'd always want to sort of ask him questions about Van Halen too, or or some of the classic stuff, you of know, course. go a little backwards. Yeah. And yeah. and he was okay with that. I mean, and you'll see in the book, there's plenty of uh, of uh, of him discussing those early classic records. But the refrain all the time with Ed is like. That's why God put eyes in front of your head is to see forward, you know, mm. he didn't really like looking back as much. You know, yeah. he wanted to see what's the next stage. What's the next thing I can do? Where can sure. I go from here?
0: Yeah. Incredible. So uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of his death, October 6th. Yep. And this book is out. Where can people find it? I know I put well, it up on my show blog, but where, where is it?
1: You can find it. it on, you know, online at all the major book outlets and, you okay. know, Amazon, of course, and, um, you know, uh, major bookstores. Uh, and Barnes Independence, and Noble, too. Independence. Sure. I mean, it's a um, uh, it's on coming out on his chat with it, which is a large uh, scale publisher. So if, if you go look for it, you'll you'll probably be able to find it.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> Let me just flash the book cover one more time. Congratulations! This is a fantastic book, and it's a very important book. Very, very important book. We
2: Thank hope it's one for, for the that. ages. You know, we hope that this will become a college textbook. You know, so I think so. Yeah, so people can really learn about you know what again, as we said, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, musical genius. You know, of the 20th century.
1: Yeah, I was it's- actually um, a guest lecturer at uh, New York University about two weeks ago and there they, they were teaching a class on Led Zeppelin. So <laughs> excellent.
0: That was so, my next question. Yeah. Like, is there really a class on Eddie Van Halen? There should be.
1: There should be, yeah. There should be. There probably will be. Yeah.
0: Berk- Berkeley School of Music, Boston. I mean any of these, any any school really.
2: Oh absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well. Congratulations. I want to thank you both so much for joining me. All your info is on the show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And again, the book is out now. Congratulations. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Jane. Thank it's a pleasure.